Before we begin this keynote address by His Eminence Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Archbishop of Westminster, it's important for me to thank the organizers of this Imam Ali Ali Islam conference and in particular the 110 organizations who have dedicated their time and their resources to wanting to bring this together. I'd also like to extend my gratitude to Hujat al-Islam, Sayyid Jawad for having extended an invitation to come in to host the Cardinal as he delivers his keynote address. Cardinal Vincent Nichols, is the Archbishop of Westminster. But interestingly enough, he's also a Cardinal and he sits on the Council of Cardinals, which in effect appoint the Pope and at the same time are responsible for the Catholic communities across the world. Now, before I read out his biography, it's important to also iterate the fact the Cardinal Vincent Nichols has done a historic thing, and I guess that was to bring together four senior Muslim clerics, two Shi'i, two Sunni, in a private audience, officially commissioned by the Pontifical Council a number of years ago, which was the first of its kind on an official basis on European soil. This then became the precursor, you could say, for the meeting that took place in Najaf, where the Pope and His Eminence, the Grand Ayatollah, Sada Ali Sistani met, a meeting which I believe was historical, and really it was the first of its kind, since the dialogue of Imam Rada salam over 1,200 years ago. But I won't go too much into it and I'll let the Cardinal explain and emphasize his work and his relationship with the Muslim community. In regards to the biography of the, the Cardinal, Cardinal Vincent Nichols is the 11th Archbishop of Westminster, born in Liverpool on the 8th of November 1945. Cardinal Vincent studied at the Venerable English College in Rome from 1963. To 1970, gaining licenses in philosophy and theology at the Gregorian University, and was ordained priest in Rome on the 21st of December 1969 for the Archdiocese of Liverpool. In January 1984, he was appointed General Secretary of the Bishops' Conference in England and Wales. He was appointed Auxiliary Bishop in Westminster on the 24th of January 1992 and in 2000 Bishop Nichols was appointed Archbishop of Birmingham. On the 21st of May 2009 he was installed as the 11th Archbishop of Westminster and was elected President of the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales by unanimous acclamation that year. From 2016 to 2021 Cardinal Nichols also took the role for the Vice President of the CCEE, 
on the 22nd of February 2014, he was created Cardinal Priest by Pope Francis, who tasked him with the leading work of the church against trafficking and modern slavery. He is therefore the president of the Santa Marta Group, which gathers together Catholic bishops, police chiefs, and government officials from over 30 countries around the world in a partnership to work together um, in eradicating these scroungers. On the 23rd of May, 2018, along with Santa Marta Group, he received the UN Path of Peace Award for his work combating human trafficking and modern slavery. I guess this is very important in this modern day. And because of this relationship that we, as the Muslim community, in particular the Shri community, have with Cardinal Vincent, I believe that it is a first, at least in the Western world, of the Catholic faith and the Shri community working together on an official capacity in eradicating, you could say, slavery, false slavery, human trafficking, and at the same time, other topical civic and political social problems that befall us in the United Kingdom and across Europe. With that, I'd like to welcome Cardinal Vincent Nichols to come and give his keynote address. Cardinal Nichols. Hello, my name is Vincent Nichols. I'm the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster, and I'm very privileged to have this opportunity of speaking to you all as you gather in this important conference. I do so at the invitation of Saeed Ali Abbas Razawi, who has uh, been such an important part in my experience of friendship and conversation and dialogue with the Islamic communities here in Great Britain. He, along with Mulana Ali Raza Rizvi, has been my two main Shia uh, cooperators. And we've always been joined by two leaders from the Sunni community as well, Ibrahim Mogra from Leicester in England and Mulana Mohammed Said Raza from Birmingham. Now, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the story of our meetings and of our dialogue and maybe indicate some steps that we can take together to take forward this crucially, crucially important dialogue with the families of the Islamic faith, preferably together. You know, one of the most important things that has helped us to have a focus and to carry this dialogue forward is our shared sense here in the United Kingdom of being minority religious groups. So one of the first things we did, for example, here in Archbishop's House in Westminster was to invite um, Muhammad Ali Raza Rizvi and the Chief Rabbi and myself to speak about the experience of being a religious minority in Britain today. 
So that was Jewish, Shia Muslim and Catholic. And that helped us to talk together about how we relate to public authorities, how we see ourselves in a position to serve the wider society and how we try and cooperate together on issues that are of mutual importance. And one of the important strands that emerged from this was a shared concern between the Catholic community and the Muslim community about education. You may or may not know, but for 300 years, there was systematic obstacles placed in the way of civic participation and public life in the path of Catholics in this country. But slowly from about 1850 in terms of laws and a little earlier than that actually, we have regained our place and one of the main planks for doing so has been the provision of education. Education in the first instance and always for our Catholic community but being part of the state provision. And it was this pathway that we have tried to explore together with our uh, colleagues, particularly in the Shia Muslim community and the Sunni community too. And we've done this in terms of how do we present ourselves to public authorities? How do we have a participation and an input into university level education? And of course, the great Shia tradition of scholarship is very, very important here. I can't help thinking, you know, of the times in southern Spain when the great philosophers worked together, the Catholic and the Islamic philosophers worked together before some of those terrible divisions took place. So our participation in an effort for education and then secondly, the importance of us trying to respond to some of the dramatic and deeply felt social needs that came as a result of the COVID pandemic, the close down of public life, the close down of so much economic life, and therefore the increase of isolation and need for very basic practical support. And so we've been able to look together at how our different communities respond to these needs and actually share a lot of the common motivation that drives us forward. Another big moment for us in this journey was a couple of years ago when I invited these four colleagues of mine to come to Rome to meet Pope Francis. Now clearly that was an important moment for all of us, but it was organised by the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue and on a Wednesday morning after the Holy Father had fulfilled his duties in the big public audience, he came to one of the reception rooms just nearby in Vatican City State and met and talked with and greeted each of my friends. 
and I know for all of us that was a moment in which was affirmed our shared spiritual quest that here was Pope Francis so evidently a man of God welcoming and opening his heart to four people from the two great Islamic traditions who equally are men of the spirit and wish to see, honour, worship and serve the living God. And there was no doubt at all about the impact that that visit had on us five visitors and I believe right around uh, the Islamic world. And this kind of gave a symbolic underlining of the importance that these quiet, very personal dialogues that were taking place in Britain could have. And I'll never forget those moments and I'm sure my four compatriots will remember them also too. Then of course there was another moment which became very very important and hugely symbolic and again that was a little while ago now was the visit of Pope Francis to Iraq and his historic visit with the Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. Now that in itself was most remarkable and I know from my Catholic colleagues in Iraq how important that was and how important the words were of the Ayatollah that Christians were citizens in Iraq and were to be respected with their rights held in due regard. Those words were so important. But in this country, what made a very big impact was the fact that Mohammed Raza Rizvi and I were able to go on the media channels and comment together about the events that were taking place in Iraq and about the importance of this visit to the Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. So with both those very powerful symbolic events, one in Rome and one in Najaf, this has really given impetus and a solidity to the work that we do in terms of our inter-religious dialogue and cooperation. Now I'd like to end on a very much more personal note and yet it's also very public. Uh, in my heart I have a, a, a deep um, devotion to the two great saints of Assisi, to Saint Clair and to Saint Francis of Assisi. And of course, one of the most remarkable events in the life of St. Francis occurred in 1219, when he made a visit to Egypt to, to meet with the great Ali Malik al-Kamil. Now, I don't know if you know, but in, the, in that second decade of the 13th century, Francis made many efforts to make this pilgrimage to the heart of Egypt, to the place of the battles of the Crusades. And it was only in 1219 that he actually managed to achieve that. And of course, there's no direct account of his meeting with the Sheikh, with Ali, with Al-Kamil. 
but stories abound. Some of them are a little far-fetched. But there's no doubt that he came away from that meeting deeply touched and having created, I believe, a friendship. And maybe that's the most important word, a friendship and a mutual understanding which was rooted in a simplicity of life, was rooted in a search for God and was rooted in a response to the situations of any historical and social moment. For Francis, the Crusades were a great tragedy and he stood out at a time in which division and violence was common spread. He stood out as a man of peace. Indeed, you know, some of the most remarkable speculation now is that when uh, a few years later in uh, 1224, Francis retreated to Mount Verna in prayer, where he received the stigmata. Some current Franciscan scholarship says that he made that pilgrimage into the desert to pray in total isolation in order to pray for the ending of the Crusades and for peace between our two great traditions. Indeed, at the end of that retreat, when he came down from Mount, Mount, Mount Vernon, he, he wrote what's called a cartula. And on it he wrote, May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May he show his face to thee and have mercy on thee. May he turn his countenance to thee and give thee peace. Currently, some Franciscan scholars suggest that that prayer was in fact addressed to God on behalf of Sheikh al-Malik al-Kamil. It's been generally taken as a blessing for Leo, who was going to be his successor in leading this little band of Franciscans. But the other suggestion appeals to me greatly, that out of that deep mystical experience of God, he came away with this deep passion for prayer for one another. So I hope your conference can draw a little encouragement from these few words of mine. I would think I would summon them up in order to grow together, in order to offer the peace in which we both believe and hold dear to our world. We need simplicity, we need a profound spirituality, we need scholarship together and we need a responsiveness to the mighty needs of the world around us. And may God bless you all.